Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Brick, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, June 13th, recording today's podcast later in the evening here on the East Coast. As such, many, if not all of you listeners, not going to hear today's episode until Tuesday. Nevertheless, why did I date this show Monday? Because I wanted to make clear, as we do on the opening episode every week here on the Mini Break Podcast, want to spend today's show recapping another exciting championship weekend on the ATP and WTA Tours. Five events I want to highlight in particular, but of course the biggest storyline of the week, week one of the 2022 grass court season now officially in the books and perhaps expectedly, it delivered us some unexpected title winners. Certainly the biggest underdog story of the week and perhaps one of the most unexpected runs we have seen not just here in 2022, but in recent and perhaps in the entirety of the ATP and WTA Tours history, the run of Tim Van Rijthoven. Outside the top 200 entering the week, he had never won an ATP Tour level match, never won an ATP Challenger title either. Van Rijthoven earns the first ATP title of his career, knocking off not just Taylor Fritz early in the tournament, but of course on championship weekend gets to face and knocks off number two seeded Felix Ogier Aliasim, knocks off top seed and now world number one Daniil Medvedev as well. Of course, we spent much of last week on the show talking about what makes Vanna Reithoven a special talent, but I want to talk about on today's show, of course, not only what allowed him to earn victories on championship weekend, but why I think the confidence he earned throughout the course of this run. That's the biggest thing for him moving forward and why I do expect him to continue to use this run as a way to have success in his career moving forward as a springboard, I should say, for him heading into the summer. But of course, again, Van Rijthoven, not your only unexpected champion. Of course, over in Nottingham, it was Beatrice Haddad Maya earning her first WTA Tour level title in extraordinary fashion. Three set victory for her over Ali Risk in the championship match. And of course, Haddad Maya has done so much winning over the course of the past 20 months. She's had to. Following her suspension, was ranked outside the WTA Top 1000. Now, not only is she back in the Top 100, not only is she inside the Top 50, she's at a new career high. Inside the Top 35, I don't want to talk about why Haddad Maya absolutely a threat to continue to do damage moving forward. Why Ali Risk, as always, proving to be a tough out on the grass courts. There is no reason both of those players, Hadad Maya, Ali Risk, can't make runs to the second week of Wimbledon. I'll make the case for why on today's show as I put a bow on all of that action in Nottingham. Of course, we had women's action over in the Netherlands as well. ECAT, Ekaterina Alexandrova, she's certainly run hot and cold at various points 
points throughout the course of her career. This was the best I've ever seen her play on court. Just extraordinary level of tennis for Alexandrova. Knocks off Kudermatova, knocks off Sabalenka to earn the second title, I believe, of her career at the WTA Tour level. And of course, for ECAT, why not? for her moving forward. Again, wide open draw at Wimbledon. Seven of the top 20 players have played fewer than 20 career grass court matches. We've yet to see a bunch of the top players compete this season on the grass courts with the confidence ECAT earned this week. Uh, And again, how well she's played throughout the course of this 2022 season. I want to make the case for why she's got sleeper written all over her at Wimbledon. Of course, yes, it's week one hot takes. Are we overreacting to some of these results? Of course, we're going to that said we only have one week of a grass court sample size here in 2022 so let's offer our week one overreactions here on today's show that perhaps includes an overreaction to the run of Matteo Berrettini he's the boss Hugo boss obviously sponsoring he and the tournament this week in Stuttgart Berrettini delivers for his sponsors by earning the title knocking off Andy Murray in three sets in the final of course we talked about Murray at the end of last week on this show we'll put a final bow on what was obviously disappointing to see him have to have the medical timeout at the end of that third set, see that ab injury force him out of this week's action. Nevertheless, if healthy, why not for Andy Murray? Why not for Matteo Berrettini? Put a final bow on all of our four grass court events. And then, of course, if you're on tennis Twitter, everyone had to fire off their uh, Jung Chin Wen tweet, right? As the 19-year-old earns a 125K title this past week on the clay in Valencia. Let's continue to monitor the progress of Jung Chin Wen. I'll continue to lay out the facts for all of you, what she's accomplished thus far prior to turning 20 years old. Just a steady ascent for her up the rankings. And again, I thought was particularly impressive throughout the course of the weekend in Valencia. So again, five events we want to highlight here on today's show. Of course, if you're looking for ATP Challenger Tour coverage, hop on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. Damian Kust, Yanka Barbaro have you covered not only this week, but every week breaking down all the action happening on the Challenger Tour. You will not find two people more informed nor more enthusiastic about all the action happening at that level. Of course, I have to give a shout out to a couple of ITF champions, Duarte Valle, of course, the recent University of Florida All-American graduate earning his first pro singles title. You also, on the women's side, had Snow Hunt, the rising sophomore at USC, of course, earning her first uh, professional singles title as well. We're going to save the recaps of those events, save the conversation on everything happening with players with college tennis ties on the Pro Tour for a great shot podcast with Chris Halioris later this week. But again, if you missed our coverage of the 2022 SoCal Pro circuit rest assured it carries on this saturday this sunday we've got semi-final coverage saturday and then we hope you join us on sunday for some father's day championship action i will also add this not only is it father's day on sunday it's my father's 60th birthday an early week shout out to michael gruskin the big six zero i tell him he's looked age 60 for the past 20 years. Therefore, he's now a really good-looking 60-year-old. Will you guys at A.L. Gruskin let me know if that theory makes sense? It's sort of Benjamin Button-esque, of course, referring to the movie Aging Backwards. That's not the case for Michael Gruskin. It's that, you know, 
I get my hairline from him. I also get these beautiful eyebrows probably from him as well. And he would say, you also get your sense of humor and blah, 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 blah. I unfortunately did not inherit his monotone, perfect for radio voice. Nevertheless, there's a boyish enthusiasm I think he lacks that I convey slightly better. The big point here being, again, my theory is he's looked 60 since he was 40, but now that he is 60, he's very prepared to look the age 60, and he's very good at looking 60 years old. And so I think he's a very good looking 60 year old, a 60 year old. I think that's my argument. I think it makes sense in a circular sort of way. At A.L. Gruskin, you can tell me if I'm wrong. But the point being, we will have USDA SoCal Pro Circuit action for you Saturday and Sunday. Enjoy your Father's Day's festivities. Then come join us for some exceptional Pro Circuit action. Of course, as always, before we get into today's podcast, I want to give a massive shout out to all of you listeners who are putting up with my dad's 60th birthday rants with all of our nonsense here at Cracked Rackets and continue to tune in day in, day out to our short shows. Of course, a massive thank you as well to our friends at Tennis Point, the sponsors of this program and the people who have been providing equipment to tennis players everywhere for generations now. Of course, if you are looking for the newest equipment, you can find it all on that tennis-point.com website, whether it's rackets, strings, shoes, clothing, you name it, they've got it all at the best prices as well. Use our promo code CR15, by the way, when you do inevitably make a purchase. Not only will you get 15% off, you'll get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point, symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, again, Unexpected winners everywhere. I want to talk about the four grass court events we saw on the ATP and WTA Tour, then get briefly into Junction Wen success in Valencia. Let's start with Timmy VR. Timmy Van Rijthoven, just exceptional on his way to his first ATP title, of course, for Van Rijthoven, 25 years old, as I mentioned, had never won an ATP Challenger title prior to this week at in, uh, excuse me, the Netherlands, had also never won an ATP tour-level match heading into this week's action. And even beyond that, you look for Van Rijthoven against top 100 opponents in his career. Not only did he have limited repetitions, he just had limited amounts of success, had only played eight top 100 opponents in his career heading into the week was two and six against those top 100 opponents, including losses in Rotterdam qualifying early this year to Henry Laxanen in three sets of loss in Rotterdam qualifying last year to Marcos Giron in three sets. In each of those occasions, I should say, excuse me, in each but Three of the occasions Tim Van Rijthoven had played top 100 opponents, he was a wild card into the event. And obviously, given he was ranked outside the top 200, he was granted a wild card into this event. So, But again, the big picture takeaway here, if there is ever going to be a testament to the parity, the depth, the level of tennis we see scattered throughout the ATP challenger level and just the depth we see throughout the ATP rankings. Even go watch the Futures final between Duarte Valle and Nate Ponwith. Three hours, 45 minutes was our SoCal Pro Circuit men's singles final this past weekend. The depth is incredible. And on the right week, in the right circumstances, I'm not saying anyone can look like the best player in the world, but the parody we saw 
on display throughout the course of Tim Van Rijthoven's run in the Netherlands. And again, thin margins for him throughout the course of the tournament. You look for Van Rijthoven wildcard into the event, 7-6, 7-6 victory over Matt Abdin in match number one. One break of serve uh, each in that match uh, for each player, and it was an 11-9 second set tiebreaker going the way of Van Rijthoven. Match number two, 6-7, 7-5, six, 6-4. He's broken once. He breaks one in sets two and three, very straightforward tennis. Seven six six four against Hugo Gaston doesn't fake a break point. Six three one six seven six broken twice in the match. Both of those breaks coming in the second set. That second set slipping away from Van Rijthoven fairly quickly. By the way, out of FAA was a nice bounce back for him after dropping set number one six three. Then a six four six one victory for Van Rijthoven, where he's broken in service game number one of his first. ATP Tour Final. Again, if you're ever going to have an excuse to be broken, it's facing the nerves of playing in your first ATP Tour Final on, You know, in your home country against the soon-to-be world number one in Daniil Medvedev. But guess why it was okay that he got broken in that first service game? Because he broke Medvedev to start the match. And again, for Van Rijthoven, 6-4-6-1 victory over the world number one, faced only one more break point throughout the duration of the match. He played everything on his terms, and you look for Van Rijthoven throughout the course of the match, a testament to the confidence he gained as each match went on. First match, 58% serve percentage. Second match, 63%. Third match, 70%. Fourth match, semifinals make 71% of his first serves in that final against Medvedev. Made 74%. Of his first serves, you know, was won 81% of his first serve points throughout the course of the weekend. You look at the numbers against FAA and Medvedev. Against FAA, he won 79% of his second serve points. Against Medvedev, a perennial top five returner on the ATP Tour, he won 63.6% of his second serve points. And of course, it's worth noting, we're playing on grass courts. Service strength is always going to be amplified. That's what Tim Van Rijthoven has in spades, the ability to play plus one tennis behind his serve. And first of all, that serve is just a slingshot. It's a cannon. And he's not 6'6", 6'7", 6'8". Not your typical frame and profile for a big server, but much like the Jack Sox of the world, who's, by the way, a 6'3", 6'4", sort of guy, which I'm pretty sure Van Rijthoven is as well. You look for Tim Van Rijthoven. I can look this up for you all right now. According to the ATP Tour, Van Rijthoven listed at 6'2". Yeah, that feels about right. 6'2", 6'3". He's got that Jack Sox sort of shoulder where everything for him, just blessed with that sort of wrist, that sort of contact point, the ball explodes off Van Rijthoven's racket. And when he's feeling himself and he's confident, as he was throughout the course of this week's action, he can play, he just play front foot power tennis on his terms. And again, on these grass courts, certainly his weapons become amplified, the knife on his slice. And he just, again, the racket speed he's able to generate. Uh, that's why he's able to hit the ball as big as he did. But the knife on his slice, it kept Felix uncomfortable. It prevented Felix from comfortably running around his backhand and hitting forehands in that outside corner, and it prevented Felix from swinging freely, you know, on his backhand down the line as a way to change direction and try to guarantee himself a forehand by forcing Van Rijthoven to have to hit on the run. You know, 
Ben Reithoven did a great job of taking that ball away. And again, I do think it's worth noting for Tim Ben Reithoven, who is 40 and 25 now in his last 52 weeks. And I mentioned the fact he had never won a challenger title coming into this event. He had reached two challenger finals in the last 52 weeks, the only two challenger finals of his career, one of them coming in Forley earlier this February where he was knocked out by Jack Draper, the other one coming last July on both of these events, by the way, on hard courts where he was knocked out in three sets by Benjamin Bonzi. Ben Reithoven is clearly playing the best tennis of his career. All of the numbers would indicate as much. And obviously for Van Rijthoven, who was exceptional on serve, again, he plays five matches. Van Rijthoven uh, broken a grand total of five times in those five matches. Generally, if that's how well you're serving, you're going to put yourself in a position to at least be in the match. You're going to probably earn yourself one to two victories throughout the course of a weekend. And for Van Rijthoven, obviously the serve was exceptional this weekend, but you look for him at the challenger level. Last season, 18 and 19 overall in challenger level matches. He still held 87 0.2% of the time for reference. Again, the 87.2% of the time amongst top 50 players, that would rank fifth overall, right above Casper Ruud, who's at 87%. Now, of course, you have to translate that to the level of opponent, but Van Rijthoven has flashed the ability to be an elite server at the challenger level. And obviously on a grass court, that's a little slicker, a little faster, amplifies that serve that much more. Certainly he showed the ability to have success here on the grass courts this week. And no one is going to be more disappointed than Tim Van Rijthoven that Wimbledon's not going to be offering points to main draw winners this season because now Van Rijthoven from outside the top 200 up to a new career high of number 106. I also just think it's hilarious to note that you look for Van Rijthoven. He's played six career matches on grass courts. All of them have come this year. Played the Serpentin Challenger last week, where, by the way, he lost first round of qualifying, 7-5 in the third, to a player in Otto Vertanen, who is not only not ranked inside the top 200, ranked outside the top 300 at 306. Now, Vertanen would probably want me to mention that he turns 21 years old here this June in eight days. Happy early birthday to you, Otto Vertanen. We'll remember to shout you out in eight days. Uh, but again... Van Rijthoven lost 7-5 in the third to a player ranked 306 a week ago on grass courts. The guy struck gold. He was swinging freely, playing confidently, playing as if he had nothing to lose. And go why? I wouldn't expect you all to go rewatch the entirety of the match, a 6-4, 6-1 final. Why would you want to watch all of that, even if it is just an hour five? Pretty easy watch. But go watch the ATP Tour highlights. Go to YouTube, you know, search Tennis TV. You'll be able to find them. How casual Van Rijthoven was throughout the course of that Medvedev match. Medvedev didn't have weapons to hurt him with. Van Rijthoven was fluid in and out of the corners, was comfortably blocking Medvedev's first serve back into play to, at a minimum, just provide a deep ball and get the point back to neutral. Of course, there were times when Medvedev had success with the first serve, but predominantly, the Van Rijthoven backhand block return was deep enough to get things to neutral. Medvedev just didn't have an easy enough time generating plus one weapons to really pressure Van Rijthoven and not let him to allow him to be on his front foot. Again, Van Rijthoven dictated from the start, and he did it against the now world number one player. I just... 
you think about the historical comparisons. Certainly, we've had players who are ranked lower win ATP titles coming back from injury or teenagers as they're making their rise. These rapid ascents where out of nowhere, they you know immediately establish themselves. And therefore, it's not the lowest ranked title victory in ATP Tour history. But again, I think he's the fifth player. And one of those five is Milos Raonic, who just didn't spend as much time on the Challenger Tour and really shouldn't count on that list because he ended up being a top 10 player in the world. But I'm pretty sure the list is five players who have never won a Challenger title and go on to win an ATP Tour title since the Challenger Tour's inception. Just speaks to how special this week this run was. Even you think about a guy like Aslan Karatsev, who was exceptional down the stretch of the 2020 season at the challenger level. I think it was three, four challenger titles. You can got, you all can go check. He accumulated at the end of the season, was making a push towards the top 100. And we talked about the statistics he had at the start of last season with his challenger success at the end of 2020. He was a top 20 club sort of guy, you know, top 20 in both hold percentage and break percentage amongst top 50 players on the ATP Tour because of how dominant he was at the challenger level. Now, of course, to go... All the way to the Australian Open semifinals as an unseeded player who, you know, hadn't made an ATP singles title run prior to that point. Of course, that was unexpected and given the stage probably slightly more impressive than what Van Rijthoven did. But to come from, but again, Karats have at least had a a a base of challenger level success to feel confident about. Going into that January last season, Van Rijthoven, yes, he had made a couple of finals at the challenger level in the last 52 weeks, but to beat top 10 players, you know, again, two, he was two and six, two and six against top 100 players in his career going into the week. Not only does he beat top 100 players, he beats top 20 players in Fritz, in Felix, in Medvedev extraordinarily impressive from Van Rijthoven. That's why we had to give him the opening 12 minutes. I'm pretty sure Damien and Jakob opened their podcast on the GSP with a segment on him as well. Just extraordinary. And again, given the power tennis that he plays, certainly the faster the surface you imagine, the more successful the Van Rijthoven. But the confidence he now has to just continue to go down swinging. That was the difference in the tiebreaker with Felix. Again, 7-6 in the third, Van Rijthoven wins that match. 7-5 in the breaker. Single mini break decided that tiebreaker. It was, I think, either two. It was it was a due side return. So I think it was three all in the breaker. I'm fairly certain it was. Van Rijthoven elects to take a second serve on the rise with his one-handed backhand, swing through the ball, and play to win as opposed to hitting the bump return or taking a defensive position and just ensuring you make the return so as to not lose the point, you know, with something sloppy. He did not play not to lose. He played to win. He put the pressure on Felix, was able to then get a neutral forehand in the center of the court, which he snapped as he continued to snap all week long with ridiculous action, power, and depth. Again, the power he possesses, it's undeniable. Can he rein in that power? Can and find a neutral ball. Can he continue to attack with this consistency? And can he do it on a slower surface? You look for uh, Tim Van Rijthoven again throughout the course of his career at the ATP Challenger level, forty-seven and fifty-three overall. 
So and now again, you look for him in the last 52 weeks. He's 25 and 20. Things have been trending upward. This is a massive, massive adrenaline boost, a massive jump up the rankings again from outside the top 200 up to number 106. Van Rijtjeven now hilariously inside the top 30 of Tennis Abstract's grass court specific ELO ratings. And how can he not be? Wins over FA, Medvedev, Fritz, Van Rijtjeven, title winner, on his home turf in the Netherlands, I believe the first time in at least 13 years uh, that that had happened. I believe Robin Haas is the last player to capture that title. But again, Van, and I, I might be incorrect about that. I apologize. Let me know who was the last Dutch player to capture the title in the Netherlands at AL Gruskin, of course, on Twitter. But with all of that said, let's move beyond Van Rijthoven, talk about some of our other takeaways from the Netherlands for Daniil Medvedev, who really has not played that much tennis here in 2022. Again, we're now six months into the season. You look for Daniil Medvedev. He's been fine, certainly, throughout the course of 2022, and obviously injuries have played a role in how little we've seen him, but he's only played 30 matches. That doesn't feel like, you know, again, the biggest total, and you look for Daniil Medvedev here this season. He's yet to earn a title again, so he's played eight total events through six months of the season, obviously missed some time with injury, only able to play two events during the clay court season yeah I guess he just didn't play anything really he played only Acapulco between the Australian Open and Indian Wells we didn't see him at Rotterdam this year or playing any of those indoor European tournaments which we usually do see him play I suppose that was the biggest difference but I mean again you look forward to Neil Medvedev 22 and 8 overall this season he's been fined holding 85.5 percent of the time you look forward to Neil Medvedev that 85.5 percent number obviously good for a top 10 number amongst top 50 players and in fact Neil Medvedev has worked his way back all the way back up to the number nine spot in terms of hold percentage on the season now you look for Daniil Medvedev here this year breaking 25.5 percent of the time that's actually below his career average of 26.5 of course, he peaked last season in that elusive 30% club. If you're breaking serve over 30% of the time, you are in the top three and you are one of the elite returners in ATP Tour history. Again, people over 30%. Nadal, Djokovic, Schwartzman, Andy Murray. I, I throw Schwartzman only in there to say he has to be that exceptional on the return to compensate for the lack of weapon that is his serve. What makes Daniil Medvedev exceptionally exceptional is, of course, that he gets to pair a top 10 serve with a top three and elite all-time return. He was a little sloppy on return. Again, Van Rijthoven just sort of dead-legged in that final and didn't serve particularly well either. Van Rijthoven, again, was able to block back that serve, get the point back to neutral with uh, fairly, you know, fairly comfortably with, you know, again, fairly easily as well. But Medvedev played physical matches in his first three against Simone, against Ivasha, against Manorino. Each of those matches, an hour 50 and change. And yeah, he got off in straight sets in all of those matches. But I just think Van Rijthoven struck the ball a little bit more cleanly. Again, had bigger weapons from the ground than a Manorino, than a Navashka, than a Simone. Was just swinging freely, and that's a credit to Van Rijthoven. Medvedev wasn't able to hurt him, and usually the serve is what allows him 
you know, is the get-out-of-jail-free card for Medvedev when he's having issues hurting someone from the ground and not able to impose his physicality. And again, Medvedev wasn't able to play with his food. It was a particularly bad matchup for Medvedev because on this surface, you know, on a hard court, it's a completely different ball game because Medvedev's able to move around out of the inner outer, you know, in the outer thirds of the court, much more fluidly, able to extend rallies, just that much more dangerous on the run. On grass courts, it's just more difficult to be that defensive. And anything left in the center of the court, Van Rijthoven went after. And again, on this day, he was good enough. So I do think, first of all, we're not going to see Daniil Medvedev at Wimbledon. And he has quarterfinal points, I believe, semifinal points, whatever it was, uh, to defend from last season. It was round of 16 points, none of the above. He was knocked out by Hubi Hercots, excuse me. But 22-8 and eight overall on the year for Medvedev moves himself up into the number eight spot right now. He's up 260 points on Novak Djokovic in the points race, that race to the year-end finals again right now. Actually, that feels pretty tasty. Nadal, Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, Rude, Zverev, Rublev, FAA, Medvedev. I mean, right now, obviously, Zverev injured. There's no way we see Nadal play the ATP final. So you figure Djokovic gets in for sure. He's ninth right now. You have Fritz 10, Nori 11, Sinner 12. I mean, again, the race to the year-end final should be just as exciting this season as it was last year, particularly given the fact, again, no points at Wimbledon. But uh, Medvedev looked pretty good. Gets a nice chunk of points by making the finals here. He's scheduled again to play in Halle. Tough first-round match for him against the always tricky. Changes direction extraordinarily well. David Goffin. And you do just wonder physically, again, what will he have left in the tank? I think they start Wednesday, though, which is a late start for a round of 32 in Hala, of course. That means he's going to have to play Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Five straight days of tennis if he's to make the finals. Of course, it's an ATP 500 event. And of course, no one is more elastic when healthy than a Daniil Medvedev. But of course, Medvedev has only played three tournaments since the end of March, still working his way back into shape into form. Again, I thought he was fine for week number one on the grass courts. If he was playing Wimbledon, he his level this week, the physicality he brings in three out of five sets, he would still, by default right now, be in my top five, of course. Would Felix be in that top five? Probably. I mean, the way he blitzed through Van Rijthoven in set number two was just the way I want to see a top seed respond after losing a set to a player who they are favored against. And, you know, you lose 7-6 in the third if you're Felix. Okay, Felix was broken once throughout the course of the match, won 83% of his first serve points. Now, again, the big first serve from Van Rijthoven, how freely he was swinging, the pressure he was able to put on Felix, Felix's inability to deal with that backhand slice, certainly in a vacuum, that's an issue. That said, 7-6 in the third. Like, let me see that match go to a fourth set. Let me see that match go to a fifth set. I actually think Felix had started to serve more comfortably. It was just hard for Van Rijthoven to sustain the level Felix had found his plus one form and again served better and better throughout the course of the match. And it is always just worth noting for Felix, 20 and 7 in his career on grass courts. He's, you know, made quarterfinals Wimbledon obviously last year, has made finals in Stuttgart twice, has made semifinals in Halle, now a semifinal here in the Netherlands as well. I I think many people would have Felix on their top five lists in terms of heading into Wimbledon, holds 89.2% of the time on grass courts. That number would rank third on the ATP Tour right now behind John Isner and Riley Opelka. 
not the worst company to keep as a server. And certainly, again, Felix's plus 110 is so important on this surface, his ability and willingness to move forward. It was a low half, you know, serve and volley, cross-court volley that Felix executed to secure the double break and really suck the life out of Van Rijthoven in that second set. Again, I would have liked to seen a fourth set. I would have liked to seen a fifth set. I probably would have leaned Felix in that scenario. Wasn't great, but was good enough. Obviously playing hollow this week as well. He's got Marcos Giron round one. Want to see him bounce back confidently here this week. He's a threat to win any grass court tournament that he plays. Stock still up for Felix. I do think right now he would still be one of my, I mean, especially given no Daniil Medvedev. Felix is on your top five list right now. Rafa or no Rafa. Ooh, Rafa or no Rafa on grass court. When was the last time we saw Rafa play a grass court match? It has to have been. I mean, he didn't play Wimbledon last season. Obviously, didn't do it in 2020. We can check if Rafa played Wimbledon 2019. I'll look that up for you all right now. Rafael Nadal, career statistics, and it's always fun to look through his Grand Slam career statistics, the resume that they have on Wikipedia, because there are just so many wins. Obviously, 22 of them. The last time we saw him play Wimbledon was indeed 2019. Yeah, I remember where I was for his semifinal match where he lost to Roger Federer. What an outstanding match that was uh, between the two of them. And I was in Chicago visiting one of my roommates, Federer, the four-set victory. Yeah, okay. Does Rafa, therefore, I mean, he has to be a top five contender just by default. So if you have Djokovic by default, you have Rafa by default, you're filling out the rest. I'll make the case for why Berrettini has to be in there momentarily. That's three spots. No Medvedev. Yeah, I think Felix is number four right now. I think he all of that thought exercise was to say we spent. I spent forty five seconds looking up Rafael Nadal when I should have remembered that twenty nineteen semifinal. I apologize, folks, but yeah. I think Felix has to be in your top five. I test indicated as much. And again, on tomorrow's show, we'll talk about the draw he has this week in hollow. Want to see another big result from him. If we do, I guarantee you, you will see Felix not only in my top five, but in the top five likely of the guest we have on the podcast and of many prognosticators heading into the 2022 Wimbledon, of course. Shout out to Adrian Manorino. Manorino, always a tough out on the grass courts, reaches the semifinals, played Medvedev tough, 5-5, five and five, broke him to stay alive in set number one. And, you know, after trailing by a break for the majority of the set, of course, you look for Adrian Manorino in his career on the grass courts. And yes, we remember him last year getting knocked out by Roger Federer in what was a fun four-set match. But 80 and 52 on grass courts, 60% win percentage. When you're winning 60% of your matches, typically you're in the top 25 of the rankings. I, I do think Manorino, if not a top 25, maybe even top 20, top 15 sort of caliber player on this grass court, just moves the ball so well around the court. Good wins over Demon Hour. Nakashima plays Medvedev tough as well. I think you need a weapon and a significant weapon if you're going to beat Adrian Manorino. Of course, a good semifinal final run for him. But that's championship weekend in the Netherlands. Of course, I don't think I'm going to spend that long on every tournament here, but let's move on now and let's go to the women's side in particular. Let's start in Nottingham. As if we're 
ranking the unexpected title winners throughout the course of the week. Certainly, we thought Beatrice Haddad-Maya was playing well throughout the course of last week, and we talked about on the show after her three-set victory over Maria Sakkari how the lefty just moves the ball so well around the court. Of course, Haddad-Maya also captures the doubles title in Nottingham. Her and partner, of course, uh, I believe she plays, yes, with Jung Shui, uh, earning straight-set victory in the final over Dalahide and Nicolescu, the reason I bring that up, of course, Haddad Maya, plenty comfortable moving forward, plenty comfortable taking advantage of space, of angles, taking the ball early on the rise and, you know, moving forward, being the aggressor. That aggression is what ultimately allowed her to outlast Ali Risk in a three-set 6-4-1-6-6-3 victory to capture the first WTA title of Haddad Maya's career. And of course, the 26-year-old had reached the top 50 of the WTA rankings as far back as 2019, but fortunately was suspended after failing a doping test. And there was a long protest and obviously that extended her suspension as well. She was initially uh, scheduled to come back from that suspension at the start of 2020. Of course, then we had the pandemic hit and Haddad Maya uh, delaying her rise up the ranking. And obviously her ranking falls outside the top 1000 during that suspension since August 20, 2020, though, since returning to the tour. And I know I've mentioned this number a couple of times, but Beatrice Haddad Maya, 132 and 38 in total matches played. Since August 2020. Again, she's played over 40 total events in a 20-month stretch. That includes December's off. So you're saying two tournaments a month at least. But of course, there are a couple of months in the offseason. So she's played more than two tournaments a month. 132 and 38. She's played 170 matches. She's won 78% of those matches. And again, I know the majority of them coming at the ITF level. You look for Haddad Maya against top 100 opponents since August 2020. She's 14 and 14 overall. But you look for her here in 2022. She's 12 and 10 against the top 100. You want to go even closer again against the top 50 now, four and eight, but victories over Maria Sakkari twice, once this week in Nottingham, once, of course, in Miami as well. Gets a win over Ali Risk in the final, of course, Risk, except, you know, exceptional on the grass courts, 83 and 36 in her career. Haddad Maya has proven, though, doing it the hard way, that she belongs in the WTA top 50. She's beating everyone she's supposed to be against opponents ranked outside the top 51 this season. She's 27-4 and overall against non-top 50 opponents. Again, she is cleaning up against who she's supposed to clean up because simply put, if you do not have a weapon to consistently hurt Haddad Maya with, take time away from her, then she's going to work you around the court. Her ability to find that forehand work you just slowly but surely further over on the ad side, over and over to open up the down the line for herself, her willingness to follow the ball in behind that down the line, how comfortable she seemingly looks here on these grass courts moving. And, you know, again, her ability to absorb the cross court and down the line backhand of Allie Risk in particular, I thought where Haddad Maya won this match was in her backhand to the Allie Risk forehand exchange. Haddad Maya was just better at taking that risk, you know, win risk, A, because for Allie Risk, 
what makes Allie Risk so successful is A, how quick she is with her hands on the backhand, her ability to hold that ball on her racket and disguise whether she's going to go down the line cross court, then use her racket speed to generate enough pace to at the last second either go down the line, go cross court. The problem for Allie Risk is that you know that that ability for her became less effective because that backhand cross court goes to the Haddad Maya forehand, and I thought Haddad Maya did a great job of taking her backhand and finding the Allie Risk forehand. Of course, for Allie Risk on that forehand wing, she because of how her contact point is, it's just a little bit easier for her to take that ball down the line. And Allie Risk so successful in taking that forehand down the line, keeping Victoria Golubic on it throughout the course of her three-set semifinal victory. But, you know, again, Risk couldn't take that forehand down the line against Haddad Maya because when she did, Haddad Maya punished her with a forehand cross, with a forehand behind her, moving forward as well. Of course, credit to Ali Risk, who found ways to be more aggressive, was more assertive with her forehand in that second set, said, I don't care if you know I'm going down the line with my forehand. I'm going to beat you to the spot anyways. And more frequently than not in that second set, was able to to just beat Haddad Maya to the spot, was taking her return a little bit earlier in the court. Again, mixing in the drop shots, just had Haddad Maya paralyzed. But Haddad Maya is the complete package. A lot to like about her game. And again, 27-4 uh, and four she is this season against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Again, 4-8 and eight against the top 50. Not exceptional, but good enough to get you into the top 35. And now Haddad Maya, 32 in the world. She will be seated at a Grand Slam for the first time in her career. And you look for Haddad Maya at the Slams this season. Second round at the Australian Open. She was knocked out by number 14 seed Simona Halep. You look for her Roland Garros. Knocked out 4-4 four and four by Kaya Kanepi. I suppose that's a tougher loss with perspective, just given... That's a player now that Haddad Maya is 32 in the world. She's got to beat if she wants to continue to climb up in the rankings. But that would be a tough draw if you get Kanepi round one still. Haddad Maya 31-12 and 12 throughout the course of this season. I mentioned this is her first WTA-level title. She did have a title earlier on the clay court season at the 125K level uh, right before the start of Roland Garros. Again, Beatrice Haddad Maya, lefty moves the ball so well around the court, such a well-rounded game. It's so difficult to sweep both the doubles and singles title at a single event. And in fact, you look here at the 2022 WTA season, not sure how many events we've played throughout the course of this year, but you look at the events we have played. Do we have the doubles champion? Do we have someone who, oh, duh, Adelaide won, start of the season. Ashley Barty uh, sweeps the singles and doubles title. So it's happened once uh, throughout the course of this season. I don't believe it's happened anywhere else. Yeah, looking across the board, I don't see any parallel names. Again, if I'm wrong, you all know where to find me at Al Gruskin on Twitter. But I'm fairly certain, other than Ashley Barty, again Adelaide won start of the season. No player has swept both the singles and doubles title at an event this season, other than Beatriz Haddad Maya. It's always nice to find yourself on a list with Ashley Barty and for Haddad Maya deservingly inside the top 50. Again, going to have the opportunity given there are a lot of ITF points that got her here. This is really her first full season back playing WTA tour level events. And now that she's in the top 50, she's going to get to play 
those 1,000 level events, perhaps even be seeded uh, at them given she doesn't have that many high level points to defend from the end of last year. You look for Haddad by again, has been successful throughout the course of the year, but last year, September, October, she played a million matches last year, 75 and 24. Other than Indian Wells and Buenos Aires last season, everything at the end of the year, 60Ks, 100Ks, you know, qualifying to try and get in to the Chicago main draws. She's got a lot of ITF points to defend, but one first round victory at the WTA level, she defends pretty much three ITF worth points of uh, of events. So a lot of room for gain for Beatrice Haddadmaya. She's one of the players, you don't want to say it's okay. There are no points being offered at Wimbledon, but she's going to have plenty of opportunities for big caches of points throughout the course of the remainder of this season. I mean, again, Haddadmaya right now in the points race, currently 31st. You look for her in the WTA live rankings, though. She's currently 32nd, only trails 25th Amanda Anisimova by 437 points. She can catch that by the end of the year. She can put herself in the top 25 because, again, she just does not have WTA tour-level results to defend for the remainder of this season. I am so impressed with the floor of Beatrice Haddad-Maya match-in, match-out. She's just a tough out, and I do think the players with the bigger weapons, the Sabalenkas of the world, Rabakinas of the world, Maddie Keys, Amanda Nisimovas of the world on the right day— their power tennis will give Haddad Maya trouble. But unless you can play that sort of power tennis and pressure her big forehand backswing, unless you have a big serve to throw her off her game, just a tough out. She's not going to beat herself up. She's going to stay in the match physically. And, you know, again, not only can she attack, but she can play defense as well. I like plan A as much as I like B, C, and D. Not the highest ceiling, perhaps, but a very high floor for Beatrice Haddad Maya, who did not have a ton of of grass court experience coming into this past week. You look for her in her career on grass courts. Haddad Maya, 17-9 actually overall, but a lot of that's Wimbledon qualifying. She qualified for Wimbledon 2019, made the second round, made second round Wimbledon 2017 as well. Far better player now than she was then, and again, has made a couple of second rounds at Wimbledon. Now she's going to be seated, expected to make at least the third round, which would be a new career high, and I think very, very likely for Haddad Maya, who again, first WTA-level championship for her in Nottingham. Of course, the player she beats, Allie Risk, uh, often a bridesmaid, not the bride, in these grass court finals. You look for Allie Risk in her career. Extraordinarily impressive number of grass court finals for her. Allie Risk now into the sixth final of her career this past week. Four and two actually in those grass court finals, but 0 and 2 each time she's played the final in Nottingham. And you look for her tour level finals overall. Again, uh, Allison Risk in her career, uh, not grass courts, but all courts. She's 3 and 10 overall uh, in WTA tour level finals, but 13 finals for her. That is not too shabby. Second final for her, by the way, this season. And you look for Allie Risk overall on the year. Pretty impressive. 16 and 11. That'll keep you in the top 50. Again, she's number 35 overall. Certainly a player who will be disappointed. 
to not have a Wimbledon to rack up points. And although she did lose last year first round of Wimbledon, so it doesn't affect her directly, but that would have been a big pocket of points certainly for her to pick up. But for uh, the 31-year-old Allie Risk, again, second final of the season. She's now seated playing again next week in Birmingham. Has the wild card Katie Bolter in round number one. Three three-set matches for her down the home stretch. Wins over Dart. Win over Golovich. Just not able to get over the hump against Haddad Maya. But again, that backhand, her ability to change direction with it is special. She's a top 10 mover on the grass courts. Really fluid in and out of the corners. Picks her spots well uh, on the serve. Comfortable moving forward when she senses her opponent is stretched. If she sees the slice, she'll sneak in and you know take a three-quarter court volley. It's a really well-rounded game. I thoroughly enjoyed watching Allie Risk throughout the course of the weekend. And again, Risk three-set victory over Golubic. Last year's Wimbledon quarterfinalist just moves the ball well around the grass court. That backhand so explosive and, you know, will take that ball early on the rise. That serve was tough. I mean, Allie Risk, you know, again, punished her on the return of serve, taking that ball early and taking time away from Golubic. But... Golubic so springy. Again, moves extraordinarily well on this surface. That was the big thing I noticed. You look at the semifinalists, Martin Sova, Haddad, Maya, Risk, and Golubic all move particularly well on these grass courts, comfortable doing so. And, you know, again, in Golubic, Martin Sova, I know it's a week one overreaction would be that all four of those players are going to make the second week of Wimbledon. Now, that's not going to happen. Do I think two of them could? Absolutely, depending on how the draw breaks. But, of course, again, we'll keep our eyes beyond Nottingham uh, as we go towards week two, uh, week three of this grass court season. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Let's go back to the Netherlands. Look at the women's side. In particular, Ekaterina Alexandrova. Ekat was just exceptional on her way to the title. You look for Alexandrova last week. You know, starts out tricky. Three-set victory for her over Diana Yastremska. After that, 4-2 and two over Kalanina. 0-1 over McNally, 3-1 over Kudermatova, comes back from a breakdown, 4-2 in the first set for a 7-5, 6-love victory over Arena Sabalenka in the final. Ekaterina Alexandrova, 22-11 overall, 20-9 outside of the majors. And you look for ECAT, we get to play one of our favorite games here on the mini break. Where's the bad loss? Well, outside of the Grand Slams, and there have been bad losses at the Slams. She lost to Begu, three sets, not a terrible loss, not a great loss for her. In Roland Garros, loses to Bernardo Pera, five and three. Can't have that loss if you want to be top 20 at the Australian Open first round. Outside of that, Where's the bad loss for ECAT? Let's go through the the resume. You look for her again, 22-11 and 11, uh, uh, throughout the course of this season. Loses to Leila Fernandez, first round, first tournament of the year. Not a bad loss. One in six loss to Garbine Muguruza in Sydney. That was before the Muguruza sky, you know, skyfall, however you want to say it, fall from grace. It, not, good, not good play from Muguruza, not a bad loss. Two and four to Sakari in St. Petersburg. Sakari goes on to make the final. Three set loss to Simona Halep in Indian Wells. Halep was what? Semi-finalist there. Has been a top 10 player this season. Not a bad loss. Seven, six in the third loss to Victoria Azarenka in Miami. 
not a bad loss. Four and three loss, semifinals, Charleston, Belinda Benchich. Benchich goes on to win the event. Seven-sixth in the third loss in Stuttgart to Annette Conteve. That was when Annette Conteve wasn't losing indoor matches. Not a bad loss. Semifinals, Madrid comes through qualifying, beats Anisimova, beats Ostapenko, knocked out in those semifinals by Owen Jabour. Not a bad loss. Knocked out in Rome by Sakari. Not a bad loss. Beats Kudermatova, beats Sabalenka, wins the title in the Netherlands. Again, all nine of those matches, all nine of those non-Grand Slam losses for uh, Ekaterina Alexandrova this season coming to top against top 20 players. You look for Alexandrova against players ranked outside the top, the current uh, WTA top 20. She's 19-3. and three. Overall against those players. And I guess for Layla Fernandez, excuse me, is Layla Fernandez inside the top 20 right now? She is. She's 19 and 1 against players currently ranked outside the WTA top 20 this season. ECAT's cleaning up against who she's supposed to clean up against outside of the Grand Slams, which again, I excluded those losses from that tally. That said, I mean, again, this weekend, not only did she serve lights out, and you look for a Katarina Alexandrova over the uh, here in 2022, Alexandrova amongst t- top 50 WTA players. She's currently ninth on the WTA tour in hold percentage, holding 75.2% of the time. Not only was Alexandrova exceptional on the serve throughout the course of the week, and you look for her overall, eclipsed the 80% win percentage on her first serve points in three different matches, was over 77% for the week with her first serve, was broken five times in her opening match against Yastrzemska, then just twice for the remainder of the tournament. It started with the serve, and that's where it always starts for ECAT because simply put, the plus one tennis she can play when she's in this form, it's devastating. The line drive, the the depth, the pace, and just again, the the drive is, is the key word here of the Alexandrova ball. It's difficult to deal with. It's just especially on this surface when you don't have your feet under you, when you're just not able to change direction as comfortably out of your corners. Alexandrova attacks open space extraordinarily well. Very, you know, again, it's a bigger forehand motion, but it's a very simple principle for Alexandrova. See ball, hit ball, take it early on the rise. And that's what Alexandrova Alexandrova did exceptionally well throughout the course of the weekend. Now you look for Alexandrova throughout the course of her career break percentage, not that great. 34.8% overall. You look at the average for top 50 players on the WTA Tour, it's 36.8. So again, Alexandrova, a below average returner by WTA top 50 standards. This week, she was not. Any serve, didn't matter if it was Kudermatova, didn't matter if it was, you know, McNally, Sabalenka, any serve into the Ekaterina Alexandrova forehand, she was clobbering. Go look at the break point in set number one, uh, in set number two, excuse me, the opening break point for Alexandrova, the forehand cross court return. She slaps cross court by Sabalenka for a winner. Sabalenka executed well on the serve in this match. Uh, Excuse me, executed well on that serve. It didn't matter. And Sabalenka executed well on the serve throughout the course of the first set. Alexandrova was able to match her. And just, again, Alexandrova, much like Timmy Van Rijthoven, was swinging freely 
throughout the course of the weekend. Certainly it helped uh, to get the three-set shaky victory off her resume in the first round. But again, Alexandrova's 22-11 and 11 this season with her title run. Alexandrova up to 16th in the points race this season is the 27-year-old. Alexandrova up to number 28 in the live rankings, three off her career high of 25. Again, not everyone gets to be world number one. Not everyone gets to be competing for Grand Slam titles year in, year out, month in, month out. But you want to be the player who's, again, getting to set your schedule, play the events you want to play, getting the chance and opportunity to compete against the best of the best year in, year out, Now, uh, week in, week out. Now, you look for Alexandrova. Again, overall here on the season, Alexandrova 22-11. and 11. You look for her against top 20 players 3-6. and six. Certainly, that's a number that needs to get better for her to take that next jump. You look for Alexandrova in her career, 16 and 30 overall against the top 20. It's not horrible. Like it, it's, it, it's not disqualifying. You know, again, I do think Alexandrova does foundationally have the serve, the plus one tennis, the aggressive mindset to play on her terms. That's going to do damage against any opponent regardless of level. Now, again, the ball can be flat. She definitely is a bit more one speed. You know, she wants to be hitting that ball flat, not going to be a defensive player who's, you know, grinding matches out with you at the same time. Ikat can scoop. Like, she looked comfortable moving in and out of corners. And go look for Kudermatova. The break that Alexandrova gets to end that first set, it comes after Alexandrova hits an on. Oh, and by the way, if you want, speaking of unbelievable passing shots, Beatrice Haddad Maya to break uh, Ali Risk to set up the 1540 break point chances hits an unbelievable on the run forehand passing shot. Again, 4 3 in the third set. Go check it out. But. Ekaterina Alexandrova, at one point she hits this full on the stretch. This was in the second set when she's pulling away from Kudermatova, but hits a full on the stretch running forehand slice that just trickles over the net. There's nothing Kudermatova can do with the approach shot, so Ekat able to set up an easy plus two pass. Ekat's fluid on these grass courts, moves well. Again, those long ground strokes kind of help her on the stretch here on this surface and with how low the ball stays, with how quickly the ball explodes through these courts. Again, when Ekat's hot, she can get on this sort of run. You remember for Ekaterina Alexandrova, of course, 2021, yes, 26 and 23 throughout the course of the year was definitely a hot and cold year. But of course, Alexandrova ends the year making a final in Moscow, beats Jabor, beats Sabalenka, gets a retirement victory over Sakri before losing a close three-set match to Annette Conteve. Of course, at the start of 2020, Cat was exceptional, wins the title in Shenzhen, beats Muguruza Rabakina, then makes the third round at Australia, beats a qualifier by the name of Barbara Krachikova, which is a win that certainly aged well before getting knocked out by Petra Kvitova, semifinals of St. Petersburg, and then, of course, COVID hits and ends her run. But Cat seems to have regained her form again, 27 years old, this is the prime of her career. She is playing like it. Fantastic run to the title. And look, Sabalenka was great in that first set against Ecat, making 60%, you know, a little over 60% of her first serves and playing such aggressive tennis on the first serve. You know, only double faulted 7.3% of the time, which is below the average for Sabalenka this year. She's at 10.7%, which is, of course, a career high for her. And if you're double faulting one out of every 10 points, that's, as we Jewish people say, nishkit, not very good. Uh, That said, you know, for Sabalenka, 
Her first serve was the biggest weapon on the court in just about every match that she played when she could find it with frequency. And just, again, the weapon she has, she's able to rip a winner by you at will when she changes directions, as she did against Shelby Rogers. She also came up with an incredible on-the-run uh, passing shot to just extend uh, the rally, uh, to extend a rally and ultimately earn herself a mini-break opportunity against Rogers in that first set breaker. And then, you know, again, the power tennis just wore Rogers down, seven. 7-6-6 six, six love there. She was able to scrap out that 7-6 and third win over Van Utvink where she was able to summon her best power tennis down the home stretch of that match and just, again, played a really good first set against ECAT. ECAT just found a different zone. And then, unfortunately, in the second set, we saw Sabalenka go away. And certainly that's disappointing. But you look for Arena Sabalenka, 19-13 and 13, uh, overall here this season. Uh, you look for her, though, Eight and three, four and one is twelve and four, twelve and five overall since the start of the European clay court season. I suppose thirteen and six if you want to include Charleston as well. She's been a completely different player since the start of the clay court season, and you know, again, to see her serving as well as she was, swinging as freely as she was in that first set. Yes, she wore down at the end of the second set, but you look for Arena Sabalenka currently at five in the WTA rankings with her run in the final, despite all of the tough success she had. At at the start of the year with how good she's been over the last few months. She's back up to number 11 in the points race this season. And again, yes, she's in 11th place. She trails Danielle Collins by fewer than 250 points with plenty of tennis to play. Of course, for Arena Sabalenka in the in the WTA rankings, excuse me, she does have Wimbledon semifinal points that are going to come off her resume. And as such, she is one to watch, perhaps tumble down the rankings a bit if she isn't able to continue the success. She, of course, has to play Berlin once again this week, and we will see Sabalenka play. I, I, again, think she's been a completely different player. She's back in the top 10 mix. Absolutely a candidate to win high-level events and beat whomever is across the net from her, which has always been the case, but she's just playing much better tennis. You know, for Kudermatova, of course, a disappointing end, and it feels like we already always see her earn that big victory, whether, you know, again, to get to the quarterfinals of the French Open, lose to Kasatkina the way that she did. She gets to the semifinals here and earns a big victory over Belinda Bencic just to lose 3-1, and one, which is a seemingly blowout against Ekaterina Alexandrova. What I would say is go watch that match. Again, Ecat looked like a top-five player throughout the course of the weekend. She was exceptional. I thought that result had more to do with Ecat's level than any poor play from Kudermatova. Of course, your response to me would be, well, why didn't she find more ways to disrupt the rhythm of Alexandrova? How was she not able to use her first serve to you know, attack that return for Alexandrova, which can be shaky on the wrong days? Again, it was just the right day. Like, she tried picking the different spots, forehand, backhand, body. It didn't matter. Alexandrova was hitting everything cleanly, was able to take control of points early on, continue to serve well. Also, again, I think Kudermatova should make the second week of this Wimbledon. Uh, but Alexandrova, if she plays like this, will also be in that second week, of course. I thought it was a good week for Belinda Bencic. Kudermatova served particularly well in that quarterfinal. Good week for Shelby Rogers, who served plus one game. Again, when she's clicking, she's just playing. 
playing on her terms. So thought it was a fun week overall in the Netherlands. Certainly uh, something for us to continue to uh, watch as a handful of players who are all going to be in the next mix. We start to see which names emerge, but of course the draws continue to be loaded this week. So we'll keep an eye on all of the action and again, break down all of this week's WTA Tour events on tomorrow's show. With that said, last two events I want to cover here quickly before we end today's podcast. Let's start on the men's side. Matteo Berrettini back in Titletown on the grass courts. Of course, for Matteo Berrettini, now up to number two in Tennis Abstract's grass court-specific ELO ratings. How could he not be? Matteo Berrettini's 31-7 and in his career on grass courts. Of course, the Wimbledon final last year, Queens Club title last year as well, has won the title in Stuttgart back in 2019. Of course, that 2019 season, really his big breakthrough year. I mean, who have the losses been to? Ready? Here are his last three losses. Uh, here are, here's who Berrettini has lost to on grass courts since the start of the 2019 season. Hala, he loses to David Goffin in 2019, 6-3, but he had won the title the week before. That was his, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, ninth match in under 12 days. Yeah, schedule loss, still. Berrettini, one loss to Goffin. A straight set loss to Roger Federer, 2019 Wimbledon. Federer beats Nadal in the semis, as we discovered earlier on this podcast. Goes on to lose 13-12, of course. Magnificent final against Novak Djokovic. His only other loss on grass courts, Goffin, Federer, and of course Djokovic in four sets in last year's Wimbledon final. That's how good you have to be to beat Matteo Berrettini. And certainly there were times when Andy Murray was that good. Murray takes the second set, forces a deciding third. Of course, Oscar Ota comes back from a breakdown in set number two, uh, or not a breakdown, excuse me, in set number two, but able to keep pace with Berrettini throughout the course of the match, force a couple of breakers with the Italian. I mean, that said, in crunch time, Berrettini's going to find a serve. He's going to find a plus one forehand. He knows what he does well. Can't put a price tag on that sort of confidence, on his ability to hide that backhand, on his willingness to move forward, the effectiveness of his slice, how low it stays on this surface, how he's become more confident, comfortable swinging through his backhand return. Again, the moment you slice a backhand, he's going to find a forehand and put himself in that ad side corner. And ultimately, that is how he was able to wear down Andy Murray throughout the course of this match. Now, credit to Murray. Maybe five people on tour who are able to take the Berrettini serve on the rise and just get that ball back in play as consistently and make that return as neutralizing of a shot as Andy Murray was able to do throughout the course of today's match. But again, Berrettini wins 80% of his first serves. He was over 78% first serve win percentage for the course of the week. He, you know, is only broken three times in four matches throughout the course of the week. Typically, that's going to get the job done. And again, I did a big Andy Murray segment last week. I will say this, given his experience, the last, you know, he's back inside the top 50 is Andy Murray. Earns his first top five victory since the 2016 season. Right now, Andy Murray sitting at number 47 in the ATP rankings. Let's go through. No Zverev, no Rublev, no Medvedev, uh, no Hachinov, so that's minus four. Okay, that's really it. Above and no Karatsev, that's five. Okay, five players out, so now he's at 42. Needs to jump 10 more spots in the next two weeks to put himself in a position to be seated. Let's assume you get one more. Still has to jump about nine more spots in the rankings to put himself in a position to be seated. Now, it's possible 
given he doesn't have any points to defend, everything is free cash for Andy Murray, but of course, unfortunately, pulls out of this week's event with an ab injury more than anything else. Just hope we see him healthy, because if he is healthy, can absolutely do damage at Wimbledon, just is so good at neutralizing the serve, and again, at neutral, Andy Murray going to pick his spot so well, as good of a mover as you're going to find even now on the grass courts, anticipates extraordinarily well, does seem to have a step and a half back from last year's Wimbledon. Uh, Murray played well, picked his spots well, comfortable moving forward, comfortable serving against Nick Kyrgios in the semifinals, fights off a couple of break points with Biggs, first serve, plus one tennis, you know, finishes things off at the net on a couple break points in that first set. Murray's just so relentless. And again, if he can hold up physically that relentlessness, how competitive he is, he'll have the crowd behind him. I legitimately believe Andy Murray can make the second week of Wimbledon now. And that is not something I would have said a year ago, despite the fact that we saw him in the third round at last year's Wimbledon championships. That said, Oscar Oates is just a sleeper. Again, I said this last week, he's everything you want Max Cressy to be. Fluid as a mover, comfortable grinding a bit from the baseline, but of course can mix in the six 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 seven serve and volley. Great feel at the net. I mean, again, kept pace with Matteo Berrettini. Six and six loss, nine, seven, seven, five in the two breakers. It's just damn good tennis out of Oscar Ota. And you look for Ota now. He's currently at a new career high in the live rankings at number 48, 28 years old. Get to set your schedule. That's the life you certainly want. And then again, for Nick Kyrgios, Yes, he got a game penalty. Yes, it got sloppy at the end against uh, Andy Murray. But, of course, Kyrgios revealing uh, the racial slurs and taunting he was receiving from the crowd throughout the course of the match. I mean, look, I made this case last week. I still thought the first set, Kyrgios fought himself out of a couple of breakpoint holes and, you know, again, was able to dominate on the first serve. Able to, I actually think Nick Kyrgios is quietly more comfortable being defensive, being the grinder when he's a returner and, you know, again, comfortable extending rallies, not going to miss that backhand in an unforced area. Yeah, obviously the forehand is where he sprays and gets excited, but that forehand can also be extraordinarily heavy. Look again, here's what I'll say. If the 27-year-old is ever going to win a Grand Slam in his career, why not this Wimbledon where part of the field is missing? Things are going to get funky. We don't know if we're going to see Nadal. We haven't seen much of Djokovic. It's not going to happen. I want to be clear. It's not going to happen. But if it's ever going to happen, why not this Wimbledon? This Wimbledon or like the 2027 Wimbledon? No, because he's 32 years old in 2027. 2025 Wimbledon? But that's the one I already have circled for Riley Opelka. It's tough. Um, still, I think Kyrgios is playing better tennis here this season, 12-5 and five overall. Obviously, we haven't seen much of him. But when we do see him holding 92.3% of the time, again, that's above both Isner and Opelka for the year. That was the action over on the men's side in Stuttgart. Of course, quickly, the final thing I want to talk about is, of course, the Valencia 125K. And again, you weren't officially a member of tennis Twitter yesterday if you didn't send out a Jung Chin Wen officially in the top 50 the 19 year old now the highest ranked Chinese woman in the world but guess what folks all that's true and of course Jung Chin Wen now down to number 51 in the live rankings but up to number 46 in this week's WTA rankings and that's on the back of the biggest title in her career, Jung Chin Wen, a 125K title. You look for Jung Chin Wen. Here's a ridiculous stat for of all of you. Again, in terms of the finals she's made in her career and all of them, yes, coming at the ITF level. Jung Chin Wen is 10-0 and 0 
in her 10 career finals. I just, I'm just i going to throw that out there, by the way, as a tweet for everyone so that they know it because uh, I missed out on the bandwagon yesterday. But again, Junction went 10-0 and 0 in her 10 career finals. That's just not bad. It's not a bad place to start. And of course, you look for the 19-year-old, 108-41 overall in her, uh, excuse me, in her career, I believe across levels. Yeah, uh, excuse me, against players ranked outside the top 50. Uh, Junction went 124 and 46 in her career. 73% win percentage in her career, of course. 11 and 13 against top 100 opponents, 3 and 5 against the top 50, but all of those top 50 matches have come Come here this season, and certainly now she's going to get more of them as she's proven. I mentioned that 108 and 41 against opponents ranked outside the top 50, 22 and four this year against opponents ranked outside the top 50. I mean, she's been dominant, absolutely dominant throughout the course of her career. Uh, and look, I mean, the righties' weapons, extraordinary. Her ability to turn defense into offense, she is a good mover. I mean, obviously, we saw her only player to get a set off of Iga Sviantek at the French Open. And again, the thing I like most, rather than rest on the laurels, she goes and plays a 125K on the clay, utilizing her rhythm uh, to earn a 125K title. And now she's into the top 50 for the first time in her career. Was extraordinarily impressive in a three-set victory over Nuria Perez Diaz in the semifinals, knocking off the top seed. And then, again, a three-set victory over a fellow countrywoman, someone her age in Shiyu Wang, who she's likely been, or Wang Shiyu, excuse me, who she's likely been competing against her entire life. And again, just making good of the promise we saw in Paris, immediately following that up with the Valencia 125K title. That's what the best of the best managed to do. Jung Chin Wen able to do that in Valencia. Credit, by the way, to Shiyu, uh, Wang Shiyu, excuse me, the 20-year-old, uh, 21-year-old out of China, probably the biggest final of her career, making that 125K. Made a Charleston final earlier this year, 60K final in Charlottesville as well. She is up to a new career high, number 100 in the live rankings, of course, the lefty so impressive uh and chung chin wen wang shiyu wang shinyu there are pl- a plenty uh a talent uh, of young chinese women uh, coming up the ranks uh, just something to keep an eye on but with that said that's your week uh, last week championship weekend recapped on the atp and wta tours was an exciting week one on the grass court certainly exciting to see jung chin wen continue to have success as well of course if you're looking for what happened on the challenger tour go check out the great shot podcast feed damien kust Jakob babro have you covered if you're looking uh for more itf tour talk Tune in to the Great Shot Podcast later this week. Chris Hallior is going to join me to talk about the college players having success on the Pro Tour this summer. And, of course, tomorrow we'll keep you covered on all the action happening across the ATP and WTA Tours. This week, the grass court action going to continue. Uh, We'll break it all down for you with our cast of characters, of course. With all that said, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the any job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout-out as well to our friends at Tennis Point tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15, of course, for all the content. Crackrackets.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Of course, you want to contact me directly at A.L. Gruskin. With all that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.